It is good to be with you. Are you glad you're saved this morning? Amen. Are you glad you're here this morning? Amen. Okay, I was hoping that it would be roughly the same with both of those answers. <laughs> that you're glad you're here, glad that you are saved. I'm glad that we can come into the Lord's house in the middle of a three-day weekend as we get ready to celebrate Labor Day tomorrow. And I hope you'll have some good times with family and friends and whatnot tomorrow. But I'm glad you are here and I'm glad, uh, I think, I could not think of any better song uh, to uh, lead us into what we were going to talk about this morning than How Deep the Father's Love. I love the words to that hymn and how powerful they are that we are ashamed to see ourselves standing there mocking the very Savior who is saving us. I think such is what we are going to talk about tonight or this morning, excuse me. You're in Romans. You might be wondering why we are in Romans. <laughs> the last several weeks we've been traversing through the Gospel of Mark, and rightly so. This morning, though, as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper, I really wanted to do something a little bit different and just focus our hearts and our minds on what is happening at this, at this table, at the communion table. And that's why this morning I'm going to do something a little bit different and just speak on that. The themes that we should be remembering, that we should be thinking about as we come and take communion. This table, as we pass out these elements of, of bread and juice, are, it's a time of deep, deep worship. The sincerest form of worship is serious worship too. But as I was talking to Pastor Nathan, it's not worship that is hopeless or sad or somber. You know, I've been in some various communion services where it almost feels as we pass out the elements that it's almost like a funeral dirge. <laughs> where there's no joy there. I don't know what's happening in those type of services. This is a time of, yes, seriousness, but yes, celebration. We are celebrating the Savior who on that cross took our place. And we are not grieving a dead king, but glorying in a risen Savior. That's what we are celebrating and commemorating whenever we come to this table. And yes, even more so, whenever we come into this worship service, whenever we come into this sanctuary, we are glorying in a risen Christ. He is not in the grave. He is not there. That tomb is empty. We are serious yet celebratory. It's a time for renewed reflection, this table is. Renewed reflection of the present power of Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus' life for us. To that end, I want to speak to, to you about this chapter in Romans 5. But before I do so, back in 2008, there was a summer afternoon in 2008, and I think it was on the White House lawn, where President George Bush presented Thomas and Romaine McGinnis with a Medal of Honor. Thomas and Romaine were given this highest military honor in any branch of service. They were handed it because of what their son did. Thomas and Romaine accepted this honor, the Medal of Honor, for their son, Army Private First Class Ross McGinnis, who was killed serving his country at the age of 19. 
That solemn and sad occasion on that White House lawn as these parents were gifted this medal of honor was also tinged with a small bit of bravery and courage in honor when you understand the events of Private McGinnis' death. I think actually it's not very small. It's actually quite large. So this is the summer of 2008, but back in the winter of 2006, you see, Ross, their son... Ross McGinnis was serving a tour in Baghdad, Iraq. Ross and four of his fellow soldiers one day were on a patrol in a military vehicle patrolling through the streets of Baghdad. And suddenly an enemy grenade was thrown into their vehicle. And without thinking, without hesitation, this young private, Private Ross McGinnis, at 19 years old, jumped onto that grenade. And absorbed the full impact of that explosive. He was killed immediately. This 19 year old saved the lives of the soldiers that were with him. Because of his sacrifice. These other soldiers were spared. They were spared because Ross gave up his life for them. At 19 years old. I read stories like that. I read stories of that type of bravery, that type of courage, that type of heroism. And I'm just enamored. I'm, honestly, I'm a little bit convicted because I don't know what I would do if I were in the same situation. I'm, there's so many thoughts that go through my mind. But when I think of all the men and the women who are risking their lives to protect this country, I think about they being the true heroes not some athlete who's putting a ball through a hoop. It's heroes that are in enemy territory. Young men and women, young men like a 19-year-old, they are heroes. And I come away um, a little bit ashamed because I don't know what I would do in the same situation. I want to believe that I could do the same thing. That I would have the same, um, if put in the same scenario, I want to believe I would be able to demonstrate the same sense of self-sacrifice, the same sense of self-disregard for my own life, and put my comrades, my soldiers' lives in front of my own. I want to believe that I would have that type of love for them, that type of, that I would be able to demonstrate that type of courage and bravery for their sakes. I want to believe in my heart that I would take that bullet or I would fall on that grenade for these fellow soldiers. But the truth is, I don't know what I would do. But let's change the scenario really quick. Change the scenario and change the stakes and put yourself into this story. Now, instead of a military vehicle that is full of your brothers in arms, that is full of men and women that you've gone through boot camp with, that you've slept in foxholes with, that you've literally had to carry through the heat of war, that you've literally had to fight for, instead of a vehicle full of those sorts of people... Imagine you, for an instance, imagine that you are a prison guard. You are a a warden in a prison and you are a guard in that prison and that you have been assigned with transporting an entire bus full of criminals from one location to another. Your 
vehicle is not filled with brothers in arms. It's full of convicted felons, full of criminals. And chained and in shackles behind you are murderers and drug dealers and rapists. And the worst of the worst, the worst of all that you can imagine. Now this is a crazy scenario. So let's just imagine... As you are driving this vehicle full of these worst sorts of people, imagine another grenade is thrown onto this vehicle. What do you do? You have a bus full of convicted felons, and there's something that's threatening your life and theirs. What do you do in that instance? Do you think twice before falling onto that grenade? Do you save yourself, or do you sacrifice yourself? How much hesitation, how long does it take before you decide what you're going to do in that moment? Honestly, I have to confess to you, if I were in that situation, I definitely would think twice. These guys deserve to die, we might think. This is a vehicle full of criminals. I don't owe them anything. They've been given the same amount of life that I have and they've squandered it by killing someone, by living for themselves, by taking another life. They deserve this grenade. This grenade is justice. I don't deserve to die. I haven't haven't done anything like they have. This is their justice. I am just and right in saving myself, we might think, before we jump out of that bus. And save ourselves. That's logical. I think that's human perhaps. It's a rational thought. But as far-fetched as that scenario is. I want to tell you this morning. About another person. Who not only fell on a grenade. For an entire busload of criminals. But fell on a cross for a whole world of criminals. For a whole world of people who deserve the justice that was coming from them and coming for them. I want to tell you this morning about a person who fell on a grenade for you. Who fell on the sword for you. Who took the cross for you. This is what is announced to us in these verses that Pastor Nathan read. That for when we were yet without sin... Or excuse me, when we were yet without strength. In due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure perhaps maybe even for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth, demonstrates his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. It's rare, Paul is saying here, for anyone to sacrifice themselves for another person. Even though we might want to believe that we would do that, that's a rare trait. That we would put ourselves in harm's way for another person. Let alone even a righteous person. Maybe someone would do that, he says. Peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. 
Maybe. But it's unthinkable that anyone would lay down their life for an unrighteous person. For someone who doesn't deserve their love. For someone who has betrayed them and wronged them. That's an unthinkable, unimaginable scenario. Laying down your life for a corrupt person? He's not a good person. He has done nothing in the way that's good. No one does that. No one lays down their life for a corrupt person. And yet... This gospel declares for us that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. He has laid down his life, not for good people, but for those who are bad. And yet we might even say, as he says here, those who were his enemies. While we were afar off from God, he does the incomprehensible, unthinkable, unimaginable thing. And he dies in our stead. He falls on the grenade for us. This is what this gospel tells us of. This truest, this greatest act of heroism and love that the world has ever known and could ever know. This gospel tells us this, that this God, he loves us not only when we do not deserve his love, but when we deserve the very opposite of his love, when we deserve his wrath. It says, while we were yet sinners, while we were in the state of our sin and deserved all the outpouring of his wrath for our sin, that's when he loved us enough to die for us. When he loved us enough to take our place, to fall on the grenade, to ascend that cross. He took all of our punishment there while we were sinners. While we were enemies. John 15, 13. I'm going to read a couple of different passages to you. You don't have to turn there. You can write it down and read it later. John 15, 13, Christ declares this, that greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. There's no other act of love that could be greater than that, that he lays down his life for his friends. And that may strike you odd. How can we be his friend? Well, that's when we remember that this Jesus who said that is also called the friend of sinners. He lays down his life for his friends. And if we are sinners, we are declared his friend. This is what the gospel tells us. That this God, this friend of sinners, lays down his life for sinners who are his friends. This gospel tells us about a savior who gives up his very life for his enemies. Verse 10 back in Romans 5. For if when we were enemies with God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. We were sinners. We were enemies. We were having nothing to do with God. We were the ones who were ridiculing him and scorning him and deriding him and spitting on him while he was crucified and crucifying on that cross in our stead. And we are the ones whom he is saving. The very blood that flows from our Savior's side on that cursed tree is the same blood that washes our sins whiter than snow. It's the blood that cleanses. It's the blood that redeems. It's the blood that washes us in the very righteousness of God himself. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5. 
That blood that is shed for us on that cross at Calvary is the blood that cleanses us from our sin. It's the blood, if you can, I'll read this verse from Revelation chapter 7. Where in glory, we read this testimony, Revelation seven fourteen. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white. How? In the blood of the Lamb. In glory, we will be wearing the righteousness of God himself. And it's because we have been bathed in the blood of God himself. On that cross, he sheds that blood for us. For his enemies. For we who deserved everything opposite of that type of sacrifice. The gospel tells us of that person. It tells us of a creator. A creator who stands in the very place of his creatures. And takes on their rejection. Takes on their rebellion. Takes on their death. One writer says. Christ takes our very persons and conditions. And stands in our stead. We take his person and condition. And stand in his stead by faith. What the Lord beheld Christ to be, that he beholds his sons and daughters to be. What he beholds them to be in themselves, that he beholds Christ himself to be. All that to say that how we are viewed is how Christ is viewed. Because Christ stood in our stead. He took our place. This is what Jesus has declared for all of us here in this room this morning. That he says, I can take it. I can take the wrath of God for them. Brad deserves all of God's fury and righteous anger because of his sin. But Jesus says, I will take it for him. I can bear it. I can shoulder it. I can suffer the punishment for him. I can die for him. And I will fall on the grenade of God's wrath for him. So he can be spared. That's what Jesus says to me. That's what Jesus says to you in this gospel that we have in front of us. This is what the gospel tells us. And my friends, this is what this table shows us. When we come to the Lord's table, we are shown through cup and through bread, the full Savior who offers a full salvation and a finished righteousness for free for you and me. It was costly for him, but it's free for you and I. And we partake of this Lord's Supper. We partake of these elements and our thoughts ought to be running along these lines. That no, there's nothing magical that happens here. Nothing mystical. But there's something momentous and significant about coming to this table. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. That as so long as you do this. You are proclaiming the Lord's death till he come. When you come to this table. And you partake of this bread and cup. You are preaching a sermon to yourself. You are preaching a sermon that a Savior has come and taken all of God's wrath for you. 
And he has given you all of God's righteousness to you. You're preaching a sermon to yourself and the world. That I deserve death, but I'm alive because of Jesus' death. You're preaching a sermon to the world. And when Jesus in Luke 22, in our upper room, when he instituted this sacrament, this service, he was establishing a way in which believers of every single age, believers of all backgrounds might come and remember and rejoice in this covenant for them, the covenant of God's body and blood on their behalf, sacrificed and broken on their behalf. That's what we come and see and are made to see at this table. At this table, when you are handed the bread and handed the cup, you are re-offered Christ's wounds on your behalf. You are re-given Christ's body and blood, bruised and broken for you as the crucified Christ. The very bruises and blood that heals us from all iniquity. At this table, we, we take of the body, the bread, and the juice and are reminded of the Savior who himself tasted death for every one of us. Let me read you that verse. You can write it down. It's in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9. This is an incredible testimony of what Jesus did for us. It says, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. And so, as Jesus tastes death, we taste his life. That as we are made to eat this bread and cup, we are made to remember that the same Savior took our bread and cup, the bread and cup of death, so that we are given his life. We are made to see that the enemy's death, he died. At this table, we are literally ingesting the good news all over again. I think of that verse I'll turn there. You can write it down. Psalm 34. Psalm 34 verse 8 says this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what you're doing at this table. You're tasting and seeing the goodness of God in full display. The goodness of a Savior who has come to take on your death for Him. You are made to revere and remember and rejoice in this act of love. The love of Christ accomplished for you when He died on that tree. And you see, whereas in our story, a soldier shed his blood for his comrades, here we're made to remember and see and rejoice in the fact that Jesus shed his blood for his enemies. And where our soldier in our story sacrificed his body for his brothers, Jesus gave up his body for sinners. And where the soldier in our story is now counted among the heroes, and rightly so, Jesus is now unashamed to be counted among the wicked. Let me read you one other verse. Isaiah 53, verse 12. 
Therefore I will divide a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. Talking about Jesus. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. He died a wicked man's death, hanging on a tree between two wicked criminals. And he is unashamed to be accounted among the wicked, that he might intercede for those very same wicked transgressing men. Those very same enemies. The very people who are spitting on him and mocking him as the king of the Jews and crying for him to come down off that cross are the very ones he is speaking forgiveness to on that cross. He says, on that cross, as they're spitting on him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is what we are made to taste and to see. This is the goodness of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That yes, in a graphic way, as Jesus says in Luke 22, that this is my body and this is my blood. Take and eat and have Jesus' body and blood. That graphic picture is a gracious picture of the cross. It's a reminder of the cross. And the fact that the very God who can have nothing to do with sinners welcomes sinners to himself by giving himself to sinners. He welcomes us to himself by giving himself to us. One writer says the supper, the Lord's table, is a place where God literally lays himself open to us and says, Here, you have me. This is what's happening at this table. At communion. That as he, Jesus, our Savior, is consumed in our death and is emptied, we are consuming his life and are filled. I thought about this. I think it's so fascinating that Jesus' command in the upper room is a literal reversal of the curse of the garden. Remember Satan's temptation? Take and eat and you will be like God. And it thrusts humanity into sin and death. And Jesus' words here are the same. Take and eat. And I will make you like I am. And here his words aren't followed with condemnation. They're followed with salvation. He reverses the curse of the serpent by giving us the same command. Take and eat. Not of some forbidden fruit, but take and eat of me. He has the final word. Jesus has the final word over death and sin and the grave. Why? Because he has conquered sin and death in the grave. He is the savior of sinners. The redeemer and rescuers of, of enemies. So this morning, as we partake of communion, I want our thoughts to run along those lines. To taste and to see how good the Lord is. How good our Savior is. To taste and see and take and eat and remember this Savior of sinners. This God who commends his loves towards us. 
And that while we were yet sinners, his son died for us. His son took the grenade for us. Absorbing the full brunt and full weight of his father's wrath in himself. This is our savior. This is the grace of the gospel. The grace that fell on the grenade for us. Let us come to the table. Lord Jesus